Hello and welcome along to the third episode of F1 Rewind. I've made it to episode three, you've made it to episode three. This is episode three of the podcast where we take a dive into the Formula One archives to bring you the stories and events which happened on each day in motorsport history. Yep, hello everyone, welcome back for another dose of F1 history and trivia. I'm really glad that you stuck around for the latest instalment because I've got some more intriguing tales from the archives for you. And our third episode brings us to January the 17th. It's the day on which Captain James Cook became the first man to cross the Antarctic Circle in 1773, the day that the Sex Pistols broke up in 1978, and the day on which it was ruled that VCRs could be used to tape TV programs for later viewing without violating copyright laws. Ah, sweet memories of the early days of video piracy. It's also the day that a mysterious Italian driver was born, the day that the oldest ever pole sitter started from the front of the grid, and the day that Damon Hill's 1997 season got off to a bumpy start. There's plenty to get through in today's show, so let's get right into it. First up, we have two former drivers who were born on this day. John Risley Pritchard is the first of them, born on this day in 1924. Born as John Pritchard in Hereford, the former insurance broker changed his name by deed poll in 1947, adding the Risley. The British driver made his only race appearance at the 1954 British Grand Prix. Having qualified in 21st, Pritchard spun out of the race on lap 50, and that was the end of his world championship career. His appearance at the Silverstone race came off the back of a non-championship race at the now-defunct Davidstow circuit in Cornwall. Bizarrely, this race meeting came to a premature end as a result of a series of events for driver Horace Gold. Firstly, Gold ended up on the grid in a sports car after his Cooper had suffered an engine failure in the prior F2 race. With his car unable to really compete, he retired early and packed the car onto his transporter, which was a converted double-decker bus. When the race had finished, he left the track driving the bus. At least, he thought he'd left the track. Instead, he found himself driving down the main straight of the circuit and straight into a low footbridge. Thankfully, no one was injured, but the footbridge crashed down onto the circuit and the remaining two races of the meeting were cancelled. Anyway, back to John Risley Pritchard. He drove in the 1955 Le Mans 24-hour race, but the trauma of the disaster that year caused him to retire from racing. Following serious problems with the law, Pritchard hurriedly emigrated to Thailand to escape justice. He was tracked down in 1993, but was in poor health and too ill to stand trial. He died in Thailand in July 1993. The mysterious Italian Antonio Bernardo is the other driver who was born on this day. I say mysterious Italian because nobody seems to know too much about him, including if he was even Italian. He was apparently born in 1939 and was entered into the 1957 Belgium Grand Prix, but never turned up. After trawling through the Autosport forums, I found that some suggest it's a misprint of another driver's name, while others suggest that Antonio Bernardo was a pseudonym for another driver. However, according to a more recent post, he apparently does actually exist, and owns, or owned, a pizzeria in Bellinzona. If you have any knowledge of the mysterious Antonio Bernardo, please do get in touch. By the way, Pritchard and Bernardo share their birthdays with the unlikely trio of Benjamin Franklin, Al Capone and Muhammad Ali. 
That'd be quite the dinner party. Carl Forberg is the only driver who competed in a round of the Drivers' Championship to have died on this day. Forberg appeared at three races, all Indy 500s, back when they were a round of the Drivers' World Championship. He entered the race three times, but the 1951 event is the only one which he started. Starting from 24th, he was able to finish 7th, narrowly missing out on a championship point. His racing career ended due to a back injury in 1952, but he remained involved in stateside racing for the rest of his life. He died on this day in 2000. On another note, Lee Wallard won the 1951 Indianapolis 500, but as he didn't wear an undershirt, he suffered serious chafing and had to be treated at the track's hospital before celebrating his win on Victory Lane. Normally at this point we'd launch into the headlines from this day in history, but this week, for the first time, we have a Grand Prix which happened on this day to talk about. The only Formula 1 race to have been held on the 17th of January is the 1954 Argentine Grand Prix. The 1954 season began in Buenos Aires, with Juan Manuel Fangio winning on home soil for the first time in his career. The race saw the debut of the iconic Maserati 250F, a car which Sterling Moss ranks as the best front-engine car that he ever drove. Fangio borrowed a Maserati for this race, despite having signed for Mercedes-Benz. The new W196 was not ready, so Fangio drove the first rounds of the season with Maserati, the team that he'd go on to win his final championship with in 1957. Similarly, reigning champion Alberto Ascari was missing from this race due to his Lancia team not having their car ready in time. Two notable records were broken in the 1954 Argentine Grand Prix. Firstly, Fangio became the driver with the equal most podium finishes at the time, with his 17th top three finish, equaling Alberto Ascari's record. Secondly, when Giuseppe Farina took pole, he did so at the age of 47 years and 79 days, which to this day remains the oldest age that a driver has ever taken pole position at. It was the final pole position of the Italian's career. The race wasn't without its controversy. Eventual winner Fangio pitted with his Maserati on lap 61 for fresh rain tyres in the wet conditions. But Ferrari team manager Nello Ugellini was certain that more mechanics had worked on the car than was allowed, so lodged a protest. He was so confident that Fangio would be disqualified that the team held out the slow down board for their drivers Farina and Gonzalez, who were now leading ahead of the Argentine driver. That meant that they didn't put up a fight to Fangio, who sailed by them and won the race by over a minute. Ultimately, despite him arguing with officials, Ugellini's protests were in vain and Fangio walked away with an easy victory. Another odd quirk of the 1954 Argentine Grand Prix was that it was run on an anti-clockwise layout of the circuit, with all previous races having been run clockwise. This was perhaps partly due to a horrific accident in the previous year's race which killed multiple spectators. The circuit returned to its clockwise layout for all of its future events. Let's just go back to the Maserati 250F for a moment, which made its Grand Prix debut on this day. 28 of these iconic cars were produced in the 1950s, with a further 12 replicas produced in later years. If you're interested in this kind of thing, I recommend checking out the Haynes Manual for the car. There are a number of Haynes Manuals for F1 cars, and they're all equally brilliant. In the Maserati one, you'll find the history of each chassis. 
the one which won in Argentina in 1954, would later go on to provide one further win for Fangio at the next race, as well as non-championship wins for Luigi Musso and Andre Simon. Not bad for a chassis that was hastily completed in time to be shipped to South America for the opening round of the 1954 season. On with the headlines from this day in history. It was on this day in 1995 that one of the most famous names in motorsport announced that they were going to pull out of F1. Colin Chapman established Team Lotus in 1952 and they made their F1 debut in 1958, going on to win seven Constructors' Championships and six Drivers' Titles. With the glory days behind them, by the end of 1994, Team Lotus were in a dire financial situation. Having recently been sold to David Hunt, brother of 1976 world champion James Hunt, design on the new car was stopped in December 1994 and staff at the factory were laid off. The team merged with Pacific Racing for 1995, but the Lotus name was lost from the sport. After a luckless year, Pacific, who were based in Norfolk, just like Lotus, withdrew from Formula 1 at the end of the 1995 season and returned to Formula 3000. The Team Lotus name would return to Formula 1 in 2010, though that wasn't without controversy, as manufacturer Proton and team boss Tony Fernandez had a lengthy court battle over who owned the rights to the name. Then Renault became Lotus and Team Lotus became Caterham and everything got a little bit confusing. The second iteration of Team Lotus lasted only two seasons before becoming Caterham and picked up a grand total of zero championship points. Damon Hill's nightmare season with Arrows began on this day in 1997. After being dropped from Williams despite winning the Drivers' Championship, Hill moved to Arrows after being courted by Tom Walkinshaw, believing that under new ownership the team would be able to offer him a race-winning car. It soon became clear that that wasn't quite the position that Arrows were in, however. In their first pre-season test at Silverstone, running was delayed due to a gearbox software issue, and the car only got to the circuit in the late afternoon. Hill had just one lap in the car before it was too dark to do any more running. He declared himself delighted to have run one lap. That was one more lap than he ran in the season opening Australian Grand Prix as he pulled over on the formation lap due to a throttle issue. Surprisingly, Hill very nearly won the Hungarian Grand Prix that season, but another car issue saw him able to finish only second. He had just one other point scoring race that year and languished in 12th in the Drivers' Championship. Arrows ultimately finished 8th in the Constructors' standings. For many, Rubens Barrichello is the ultimate number 2 driver, and it appears that was the case for Luca de Montezemolo before the Brazilian had even stepped into a Ferrari car. Alongside Michael Schumacher at Ferrari, the pairing led the Scuderia to five Constructors' Championships between 2000 and 2004. Schumacher was clearly the number one driver at Ferrari, as shown on multiple occasions, including the time Barrichello controversially allowed the German through on the line at the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix. But Barrichello hadn't even turned a wheel in a Ferrari before he was declared as the number two driver. Despite Rubens insisting that he was racing to win when he joined, Ferrari president de Montezemolo told reporters on this day in 2000 that the top driver remains Schumacher, there is a number one and a number one air. He also named Schumacher as the world's fastest driver, which I'm sure will have pleased Rubens.
the headlines on this day in 2004 were about a new rule which could have been introduced for the upcoming 2004 season. Autosport reported that rather than drivers picking up drive through penalties during races, they would be handed penalty points instead. If a driver then exceeded the maximum allowed points over a fixed amount of time, they'd receive a race ban. The new rule required a unanimous agreement from the teams. In the end, it wasn't voted through, but the driver penalty point system was eventually introduced 10 years later for the 2014 season. No driver in F1 has yet fallen foul of exceeding the maximum number of penalty points. The Roman Grosjean and Danny Fiat have both come close to doing so, picking up 10 of the allowed 12 penalty points for brief periods. Sebastian Vettel has picked up the most penalty points of any driver since the start of 2014, with 24 points in total, and Max Verstappen sits one behind him. Driver bans are a rare occurrence in F1, and there have been only two so far since the turn of the millennium. Yuji Ide had his super licence revoked after four rounds of the 2006 season, while Roman Grosjean was banned for one race, following him causing that huge crash at the start of the 2012 Belgian Grand Prix. So there you have it, that's me done for another episode of F1 Rewind. I know I say it every week, but if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you do to be informed of the latest episodes as soon as they're released each Friday. And if you're enjoying it, it'd be great if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, and if you know someone who'll like the show, make sure you tell them about it too. Alright, that's my promotional plea done. I'll be back next Friday with even more tales from the F1 Treasure Trove. I will see you then. Good night, goodbye. Goodbye.